Well, good morning, CCV. I wanted to tell you about a sermon I heard one time that was the most incredible sermon I ever heard. It was based on this scripture. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, until the day of Christ Jesus. And so the pastor went on and on and on about how God has a dream for your life. It's going to be amazing. You need to find out what it is. And uh, you need to work hard. And, you know, um, when you knock on the door of opportunity, the person that answers is hard work. And so you just need to get out there. You need to dream. You need to believe in yourself. And God is going to be behind you the whole way. And it was like a Tony Robbins speech and, you know, a a convention and rock. It was just, it was amazing. But when I actually studied the book of Philippians, I realized that has absolutely nothing to do with Philippians chapter one, verse six. Now, yes, I believe your life can be amazing. And yes, I believe God is calling you to do amazing things with your life. But that is not what this verse is about. In fact, this verse is 10,000 times more powerful and amazing and practical than how that particular pastor had sort of interpreted it for the people that were there. You know, one of the scariest things about pastors today is that the way they turned the Bible into a self-help book, like it was written for 2020 to help us live our best lives. I love what the spiritual writer Eugene Peterson said, He said, the world does not need more of you. It needs more of God. And you don't need more of you. You need more of God. Let me say that again. The world does not need more of you. It needs more of God. And you don't need more of you. You need more of God. And so we don't need to turn the Bible into a self-help manual in order for us to be successful and happy and joyful. There are other things that can bring that about. And so what we're going to do is we're starting a new series today, and we're going to go through the book of Philippians, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And we're calling this series Stop at nothing. Let me go ahead and read the first part of chapter one that we're going to look at today. It starts, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, who is writing this? Who is he writing writing to? And why is he writing? Now, the person that's writing is the Apostle Paul. If you look at this map on your screen, he and his friends in 49 AD hop into a boat and they go across the Aegean Sea and they land in ancient Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. They go to Philippi, and the first church that they plant in the east, in Europe, is a church in Philippi, in that ancient city. Now, Philippi is an ancient city that uh, is interesting because it's a Greek city that was conquered by the Romans. And when the Romans came in and conquered the city, they took a lot of the homes away and a lot of the land away, 
and gave it to Roman soldiers to populate the city. So they took Romans and planted them in Philippi. It's sort of like if you imagine if the United States invaded England and then we took all the homes that were in London and we gave them to uh, Navy SEALs. They'd be like, yo, America. You know, if you go and visit, that's exactly what it would be like. And the reason they transplanted these former soldiers in Philippi was basically they'd know that they would be loyal. The city would always be loyal. And so that was the environment that the Apostle Paul was going into. Not a very open environment for someone that wanted to go and proclaim the name of someone who was going to be not only on par with Caesar, but ahead of Caesar. So Paul goes, Acts chapter 16 tells us that on the Sabbath, he went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. His, his companion Luke is writing. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. And she was a merchant. She went to the, went to the marketplace every day and sold uh, purple cloth. And she was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And it says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us, Luke says, of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. So you see what's happening. The first convert is Lydia and her family and many of the women that were there at the synagogue. Lydia brought Paul and the companions into into her house and they stayed for months and they really got to know each other. Paul would go out and preach. He would come back to Lydia's house. They would share a meal together. The church met in their house originally. It was just a really great thing that they had going there with the exception of the Romans, with the exception of, as uh, Luke says in Acts 16, the magistrates, they arrested Paul. They beat him. They put him in prison. You know what Paul did? Converted the jailer. It didn't matter. He had this great ministry going there. And so this church started, and the original nucleus of this church, we know it, is Lydia and her family, women from the synagogue, the prison guard and his family, and a young woman that was liberated from trafficking. Now, presumably, not only Paul was persecuted, but the people that were a part of this church were persecuted. They paid a very hefty price for becoming disciples of the one that Paul proclaimed. Now, speaking of persecution, how many of you have ever been or have been to Giant lately? Now, for those of you who are around the world that you're tuning in, uh, we're, we're so glad you're here. For those of you who are around the country, we are so glad that we're connecting with you and you're becoming a part of the movement of what God is doing uh, through this church in suburban Philadelphia. But for those of you who are local, you know what Giant is. Giant Food Store is a place where we go and get groceries. Lisa and I went there uh, this week to get some groceries and we pulled up and I went to the door And there was a big sign on it that said exit. I'm like, this isn't the exit. This is the entrance. And so I went to walk in and there was a 15-year-old kid working there that said, hey, uh, sir, you can't go there. This is now the exit. And so what Giant had done is they, they basically took the two entrances and exits and made it one exit 
And this is the entrance. So we had to walk all the way around to go in that entrance. And then they took the aisles and they made them one way. And they forced you to go down one way this way and another way this way and another way this way. And the, the one line to get out of that was terrible. So I told Lisa, I'm going in the exit. They're treating us like children. She said, you can't do this. I'm like, I'm doing it. She said, there isn't one set of rules for Brian Jones and another set of rules for everyone else. I'm like, yeah, but they're teaching us like children. And so she grabbed my arm and we went to the entrance on the other side of the thing. And then she mumbled under her breath. She said, if it were for me, you would be in jail and going to hell, which is, which is really actually more true than I would like to say. But that's persecution. I know what Paul's persecution was like, but they were being persecuted and they were suffering and what was going on there. Now, Paul eventually left there and went and planted churches elsewhere. And you know what? When he had a need for food, when he had a need for supplies, when he needed to buy some parchment with which to write a letter to other churches, you know who always sent money to help him? That small church did. Lydia, her family, the jailer, the teenage girl that was rescued from trafficking, and a number of the people that became converts. In fact, the Apostle Paul bragged about him one time when he wrote a letter to the Greek church that was in Corinth. He said, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, which means the church in Philippi, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Wherever Paul went, the Philippian church was always there, backing him up, supporting him. He would write him letters. They would write letters back. He would send people to the church to speak. They would send people back with money. It was a very endearing relationship that they had with one another. Now, 11 years went by. Paul had gotten himself arrested. He went to Jerusalem, got arrested, went to two years in prison in Caesarea Maritima, and then to Rome. And so either in jail on the port city of Israel for two years, or in Rome, the Philippians heard that Paul was in jail. Now, jail isn't like today where people have rights in jail, like they eat well in jail. I have a friend of mine that is a cook in a jail. And he said, the whole, the whole reason you feed him great food is there's nothing worse than un unhappy jailmates. That was the exact uh, opposite philosophy in the first century. The apostle Paul, if he was going to eat, it was going to be at the benevolence of friends and family that were going to bring in food into the prison. And when the Philippians heard that Paul was in chains for the gospel, and it was going to be long-term, that little group of people got together at church and said, we need to send Paul money so that he can afford food and he won't die in prison. So they gathered together, they pulled their money together, and they gave it to a young leader in the church called Epaphrodites, which is mentioned in the book of Philippians, which you'll read about when you read it this week. And so Epaphrodites walks to the edge of, the, of Greece, grabs a boat, goes across the sea, lands in the port city in Italy, or in Italy sorry, and then walks all the way to Rome and then knocks on doors and asks around where Paul was. And then Paul opens up the door, or the guards did, 
And then they brought Epaphroditus in. And when they saw each other, Paul broke down. Epaphroditus said, I'm here from the church in Philippi. And they have given you this money so you can eat. And Paul just loses it. Paul then grabs Timothy and asks him to dictate this letter. And he gives the letter back to Epaphrodites to take back to the church in Philippi. And what's the letter? What does the letter say? What does Paul say to his friends that have stood by him all along the way for the cause of the gospel? Here's how he begins the letter. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. I always smile when I'm praying for you because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's like, that first day, do you remember Lydia when I baptized you in that river? And we were wondering, are there gonna be soldiers coming down? Like, do you remember that? And your family was there. And remember the jailer? And, and it was just crazy. And you've always stood by my side. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then we get to verse six. And he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying to Lydia, to her family members, to the Philippian jailer, to the young girl that was rescued from trafficking, to the people then that have joined that little congregation, he is saying, I believe that as you have sacrificed your time and your money and you have given of yourself to the spread of the gospel, that God has his hand on you. And everything that he wants to accomplish in the world, all the people that he wants to continue to reach through you, God's hand is going to be on you, and he's going to carry that evangelistic effort to completion through you. I'm confident that God is going to continue to work through you, just like you have partnered with me, to reach more people with the gospel. Can I ask you this question? Are you giving everything you have, your time, your abilities, your finances, your ingenuity, your your, your creativity, your future, to reach as many people as possible with the gospel? Uh, My wife Lisa's grandmother used to have this saying on her wall. She used to say it all the time. Lisa said it all the time, and then we put it on a little crochet uh, piece, and we have it in our house. And it was actually, it's a quote from a brave Christian missionary named Charles Studd. Best last name ever, by the way, Charles Studd. Anyway, he's a missionary to China. And there are upwards to 50 to 80 million Christians and house churches all throughout China. Many attribute a good part of the people that have come to Christ through the work of the missionary Charles Studd. Anyway, Charles Studd had this quote that he said all the time. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I've heard that all my life. This week, I received word that one of my great mentors in ministry, 
is close to dying. She's on her deathbed. Her name is Kathy Cool Taylor. Uh, as a young kid, I always remembered this woman coming into my house and staying with our family. I was young. I didn't really understand it. I just thought Kathy was family. She just always came and visited. And she had this contagious laugh and the smile and this excitement about life. And have you ever met someone and when they talk to you, you're the only person in the world and you're the most important person in the world. That's how Kathy was. But what made Kathy amazing is that man, she loved Jesus and she loved to tell people about Jesus. When um, she uh, got married, she decided, and she got married at 40, by the way. I remember I was at the wedding and my dad said, Kathy, you must be the oldest virgin I've ever met. You're of the 40, literally the 40 year old virgin. She said, you better believe it, Charlie. And uh, so anyway, so she decides to go and plant a church in New York City. Think about that. Think about a second career where you're going to go to New York City and plant a church. And my mom became her forwarding agent. There wasn't a thing called church planting. There wasn't a thing like church planting organizations that would basically handle money and the backbones of all of the, the ministry of the church. My mother did that in our house. And I remember walking through the streets of Brooklyn with Kathy, meeting people and shaking hands and going to Bible studies. And she would introduce me to people and she hugged people. She was a light in the darkness. And I remember when I felt called to ministry, I said, I feel called to be a missionary to the United States. And the only analogy that I had was, I want to do what Kathy did. I just want to do it somewhere else that they, where they really need it where they can use me. Kathy's in New York City. I want to go somewhere else. And I remember when I picked out my classes to go to, to go to school, I had picked out all like church leadership classes. And she was like, no, 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 no. You'll get that later. And she, she literally grabbed the manual and she said, world literature, you're taking that class. Humanities one, humanities two, you're taking that class. Uh, business, science. And I'm like, Kathy, why am I taking these classes? And she said, you're never going to be able to preach to people if all you know is the Bible. And I, that was just great, great advice. When I heard this week that she's on her deathbed, I thought of this verse. I thank my God every time I remember you. Because every time I think of Kathy, I'm filled with joy. <laughs> I'm just filled with joy. I just I love her and she just had an impact on our entire family and Gosh, so many people in New York City. I know if Kathy didn't have dementia and someone asked her the question, who fills you with joy when you think of them? I think for Kathy, it would be my mother because my mother was Kathy's Lydia. There were times where not enough money came in to support them and out of her own pocket, my mom would put money into the account so that they could pay Howard and Kathy and keep it going on. Listen, my friends, I want you to give yourself to the work of the gospel this week and this month like you never have before. This season that we're going through has given us unprecedented opportunities for people to be open. So I wanna encourage you to share your faith I want to encourage you to give and I want to encourage you to mentor people so that 10 years from now, 10 years from when this pandemic is over, people will be able to write of you 
I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day in 2020 until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we're so incredibly thankful for how you're working in our lives. We wanna be people that impact other people for the gospel. We wanna partner with other people. We want to be fully alive and engaged in our local churches, and we wanna impact people in this season. Please, God, use us. We only get one life, and it's gonna be gone quick. And the only thing that's gonna last is that person or the people that we reach. Give us this burden, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.